Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, listeners, and welcome to the latest installment of MBM's M&A Snack and Chat podcast. I'm Brian Shaw, corporate partner in MBM's London office, and I'm joined, as always, by my colleague, Caroline Urban. Hi, Caroline. Hi, Brian. Hi, everyone. For those new to the show, this is an M&A podcast where we catch up with past and present clients or advisors in the M&A space. As the name suggests, snacking is the first order of proceedings. So, Caroline, what are you munching on? Well, I managed to get my hand on some very delicious Italian chocolates called baci, which means kisses. What have you got, Lovely. Brian? Well, I was feeling a little homesick today, so I, I went down to the uh, the local Tesco to the international section and bought myself some barbecue shapes and some Fosters. God, this is going to be a good one. Enough about the snacks and on with the show. Today, we are joined by a very impressive woman who has been involved in the venture capital scene for over 20 years. Sheetal Meta Walsh began her career in investment banking, but following a move into Microsoft's VC team at the turn of the millennium, Sheetal never looked back. Sheetal has worked with numerous tech businesses over the years as an investor and as board member. Sheetal has also co-founded her own cybersecurity business, so is well-versed on sitting on both sides of the investment fence. More recently, Sheetal has co-founded an all-female-led VC fund called Soho Ventures, and we're lucky she has found time out in her busy schedule to join us on today's show. Welcome, Sheetal. Hello, Brian. Hello, Caroline. Thank you so much for coming on the show. So tell us what you're snacking on today. Well, it's very appropriate because I'm in Canada at the moment, so I'm having a Molson Canadian beer and maple syrup cookies. Mmm. Um, enough about snacks. Please tell us the Sheetal Meta uh, Walsh story. Where did it begin and how did you end up where you are today? I was really, really lucky that I had um, an amazing upbringing in Canada. I spent half of my life in Canada and the rest in the UK. And as a young Indian woman, of course, my number one mission as I was brainwashed to become a lawyer or a doctor, and I really wanted to go into the, into the legal world. But lo and behold, my journey took me uh, in a different direction. After graduating from London School of Economics and completing my master's, I ended up opening the investment bank for West Deutsche Landesbank in the late 90s, which were very early days, an exciting opportunity. After that, I ended up at uh, Microsoft in 2000. It was the big dot-com boom time. Interesting. I worked with some of the most brilliant people, but I did then go to Bill Gates and said, listen, nobody's looking after the venture capital relationships. We don't have a way to scale this and get a seat at the table for VCs to communicate with product groups directly about potential M&As, potential co-investment, and really just to learn about competition. So I was very honored. He gave me the, the mission to create and implement the first corporate innovation arm in those days, which was for Microsoft. I started that in 2000 in the Valley and then scaled that out into uh, the, the UK, actually with a London headquarters across uh, 17 different countries. Um, and later, I just carried on, you know, working with founders through the Global Entrepreneur Program and mainly working with uh, approximately 900 companies, which we brought into the UK. I facilitated a billion pounds in funding for those companies and helped them scale globally. Today, I continue my work with uh, working very closely with founders, as I'm sure we'll get into in a moment. Gosh, that is so mm. impressive. I think we'll definitely get into some of those experiences in a little mm. more detail. I was going to ask how approachable Bill Gates did you just knock on his door one day and say, hey, Bill, uh, what's happening? I'd like to open up a corporate venture arm. I, mean, I can't imagine doing that. 
Well, yes, I think that when we're really young and we don't know what we're doing, it's a great opportunity <laughs> to just go and take chances. Wow. But I want to highlight two or three things there, Brian, that really made a difference for me in my mm. early career. Um, one was the fact that the company at that time was very flat. There was an opportunity to engage with senior executives, which was really, really wonderful on many, many fronts, as you can imagine. Second to that, I was really mentored by an incredible woman, which some of you might have heard of. Her name is Heidi Roizen. And she is one of the number one VCs in the Silicon Valley. Uh, she's definitely one of the first female VCs of two. She spent a great deal of her career at Apple, uh, had many, many, many exits, and was also very closely working uh, with Bill Gates on several deals. So I, I think what I was really lucky for in those early days of my career, if you think about it, 2000s. And we were talking about women in tech because those were early, early days. So to have Heidi Roizen take me under her wing and take me to meetings with Bill in those early days. Well, you could have just imagined how excited I was. Um, and for her to sort of validate my proposal to him and back it up uh, was really an instrumental move in helping us uh, take this forward as well. A lovely gentleman named Ken Olissa, who was one of the first private equity gurus out of London, who is still absolutely inspiring and amazing, was my second mentor who helped me then go to build a second time to say, can we take this to London? And uh, then I was given the second remit to go and do that. So yes, really exciting opportunities. Wow. That's so impressive, and it's mm. so nice to hear that you you give credit to to two very important mentors. I'm very curious about the cybersecurity company that you founded in, I think, in 2009. Can you tell us more about this journey that you had as a founder and growing the business? So the brainchild behind um, MetaCert um, is really Paul Walsh, who's my better half. He's definitely got a deep technical experience in um, having created standards around um, the internet, having worked closely with Tim Berners-Lee. And so with his skill set and my networks, together we co-founded MetaCert. And the initial vision was child safety online and making mm. sure children were, were really protected because more and more now, especially during COVID, we can imagine what's going on in terms of um, you know, opening links and it's one thing for a, a, an elder person or an adult to be able to open a link and make a decision, but can change a child's life from a safety perspective. So that was the original mission. We were based in London and we were promised and offered funding from the Silicon Valley. So we packed up like many entrepreneurs and moved to the Valley, the, the, the dream ecosystem to be able to leverage $2.4 million in funding from some very clever VCs and angels. And it's been quite an incredible journey since. Yeah, tell us a little bit more about it. In a nutshell, mm -hmm. where we are today is MetaCert is, is really focused now and positioned as a cybersecurity company. MetaCert is, has a solution and offering to help enterprise and remote workers and field workers to be able to access uh, the internet but to do so in a safe way. So the focus is really on anti-phishing and mm -hmm. ensuring that links aren't open that jeopardize an enterprise, act, enterprise activity. Um, when you talk about partnerships and strategic activities and how this business has grown, we really did benefit from being in the Silicon Valley. I will argue it was a great opportunity. Uh, there were many things that, that, that did not work out. And I wanna be honest and open about that because every, every entrepreneur thinks, let's go to the Valley. But there are other issues and underlying issues which can can cause um, 
certain challenges and that could include you know the politics and what's going on and what was going on when we were there in terms of having to pay extraordinary amounts of of money into healthcare for your talent mm. uh, visas just ease of living was very complicated so great ecosystem great partnership partnership opportunities but other challenges we'd like to take you back to the uh, the venture capital scene in 2001 you know when you were talking to to bill this was seven or eight years before the iPhone was uh, existed and, and apps were, were popping up every every five minutes. Could you tell us the difference, how it was in the venture landscape in 2001 compared to 2021? What a great question and one I'm very passionate about. What happened in 2001, 2002 and three that I, I really noticed, Brian, was that a lot of the VCs I started talking to back then, they were not traditional VCs, they were accountants. And they had different questions. They had questions around, you know, balance sheets. And because they weren't entrepreneurs themselves, there was really a different language and narrative going on back then. Mm. So I'm really thankful and grateful to the types of VCs that I did used to work with very closely and still continue to do so. What we had was at least an early opportunity to talk with the venture community who were open to, to working with founders and entrepreneurs, even though they were not traditional entrepreneurs themselves. And today, compare that to today? Today, it's just, it's a completely an amazing different uh, landscape, especially I would argue in the UK because the British government has put so much behind innovation by way of grants and tax credits and tools and resources for entrepreneurs, not just homegrown, but entrepreneurs across the world to come to the UK and choose the UK as their headquarters. And so what we have in the UK, which is very special is we've got all of the stakeholders lined up. We've got amazing universities. We've got the corporations, we've got government and investors all partnering with founders in a way that we've never done before. And I think the UK really leads in terms of ecosystems this way, especially London. Having lived in Dubai, having lived in Germany, in London, in the Silicon Valley, in Canada, in India, I really feel that today the economy and the community and the ecosystem and the yes, we can do it attitude does exist in the UK. And I'm really proud to have been a part of that as well. I think the investor base, as you can see, it's grown and it's Mm. expanded. There's many more entrepreneurs who are now uh, investing. And the fact that we've got EIS and SEIS opportunities, which is such a forward thinking plan for the UK government, gives every single person the opportunity to invest now. You know, had you asked me in 2000 if that was going to happen, I would have never guessed it would. So I feel very proud about the ecosystem that we've built in the UK and opportunities for founders, not just to work locally, but also to scale globally. That's really mm. positive and such a good thing to hear. And I bet the, the market is, well, busier by the sounds of it, from certainly from both sides, from the investor side and from the entrepreneur side. You mentioned that there were a couple of stories you wanted to share with us from your M&A experience. What were these stories? These stories are so great. Uh, when, you look, when you look back and you look at the decisions you made and you think, gosh, did we make the right decision? So with MetaCert, uh, a great example and one super close to my heart because what happened was I later stepped down as co-founder and, and became an investor and joined the board. Uh, so that was the beginning of my, my angel investing quite some time ago. What happened early on is that we actually didn't have a product ready to go to market. And we started early conversations in the Valley and uh, also across Europe about what we were planning to do. 
very, very early on in the game, a very, very large systems integrator company approached us an offer. And I couldn't believe it because I said, well, we haven't even got a product yet. And, you know, our mission is really huge. And, and the things that we want to build, certainly Paul Walsh as founder had, had big missions for this idea. This was not just, let's just exit quickly. And so you sat together as a board and as a team to say, you know what, this is an amazing company that wants to acquire us. I wonder what they're going to do with it. And it was really a pivotal point for us because we wanted to say, yeah, let's just go for it. You know, it's been, it's been two years. It's been very hard. Let's just take the money and mm -hmm. run. But I'm really proud of the decision that was made because the conversation was like this. We love your technology, love what you've created. We see the problem. We don't see many competitors in this space. We'd love to buy your, your, your products that you're building. Um, and our offer would be anywhere in the tens of millions. Now, when you hear mm. that after two years of grueling and working out of a basement and not being able to afford healthcare in California and worrying about everything under the sun, that's pretty exciting. Now, tens of millions could have been 10 million or it could have been 100 million, who knows? So it was really quite a, an interesting conversation. I just want to say I'm so, so pleased that we did not take that offer. There are days, of course, that I think, gosh, even if it was 10 million, we might have gone and done something else. But really... What has evolved now is that the company, Metacert, has been able to really um, help and impact a lot of communities around, um, you know, in the crypto world, for example, Metacert's technology is used for wallets. Being able to uh, provide safety online for children in schools, which we've given away for free to schools and churches, all of that is stuff we might not have been able to do. And now, more importantly and excitingly, is that with the pandemic, we realize remote working is the new way we may never go back to fully sitting in offices ever again. And had we exited for whatever that amount was, which could have been a short-term excitement, we've now been able to have instead a long-term impact um, on, on communities that really need to ensure in this day and age, privacy, um, security, and not just security of individuals and their finances, but security of large corporations. So I'm just really proud and happy, you know, that the, the CEO, Paul Walsh, did not run off with whatever the, those tens of millions was. I wouldn't rush off and sell your company if you think you're going to build a really good long-term platform. And speaking of, of exits, you know, we were talking earlier before the podcast, what are some of the strategies that you can put in place now? If you, you know, a lot of the listeners are, are entrepreneurs to this program. What are some strategies they could put in now or some healthy habits that uh, could facilitate um, or maximize an exit? My first and foremost um, idea is don't think about an exit at the beginning because you want to really build your team and you want to build a great technology solution that's hopefully going to impact the world. Um, as you know, I'm a, a venture capitalist with Soho Ventures. And within that capacity, I speak with that hat on and I would say, to any founders out there who are thinking long-term, please make sure whatever money you take from whatever venture capitalist that it's smart money. And we would like to say and hope that we're smart money because one of the things that we think about when we're working with founders and we come in at a late seed stage side of the deal, but I think it's really important to, to get involved with VCs who are thinking long-term and who are gonna help you with your, uh, your community your, your board, your scale, your go-to-market strategies, and not all VCs are. So my first and for foremost mm. feeling would be is, you know, getting money from an investor is like getting married. And if they're going to be on your board, especially, you really want to make sure that that board and that investor is going to go the extra mile for you, pull out their networks, not just give you money and walk away and wait for board meetings. And speaking of the marriage analogy, well, two things on the marriage analogy. 
One is we draft for the divorce, not the marriage. That's why you, you engage lawyers. Secondly, that's so uh, depressing. The term, the 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 act of uh, looking for investors is, is is like the courtship. The term sheet is the engagement ring. It shows that you're serious, and uh, you know you're committed. And then obviously, when when you complete the deal, that's uh, that's the marriage. So you're exactly right, you tell. I must add something that's super crucial, which I didn't. So in finding the right investors, of course, that's a super priority. But without the right lawyers and the right law firm behind you, who gets founder activity and who understands the exit strategy um one could put themselves in a very difficult situation mm. so so i think you know any of you listeners out there i i would actually consider working with mbm because they seem to be very very hands-on and, and focused and caring about the exit strategy even hosting these podcasts you know it's a really important uh, sign that they they're putting a lot of skin in the game. And I think uh, it's really, really a testament to your firm that you're, you're, you're doing these podcasts to really educate and inform and share knowledge about best practices. Gosh, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Blush. Yeah. And, and beautiful plug for mm. MBM. Thank you so much. <laughs> Put that one on the website. So you mentioned Soho Ventures. Can you tell us more about that fund? What, what, what sectors are you looking at in particular? What would be the ideal company that came and knocked on your door? What would that look like? Soho Ventures is my most deepest passion and I consider it like my baby. So I'm super excited about it. It is the first all female led VC fund in the UK and the three other partners, interestingly, you know, I don't say overall for female founders, what I say is we've got the strongest, smartest uh, team I've ever met. Our, our synergy and our glue together and the way that we work together is really, really empowering and exciting. But what we're looking for is diverse teams that have created socially responsible and sustainable solutions to global problems. And the reason we care about that is we really wanna make sure that especially post pandemic, solutions and technologies that are coming to the forefront have to be innovations that are going to be accessible. Um, you know, not just to us in London or San Francisco or Vancouver. We want these technologies to be accessible and impact societies across the planet and really take into consideration customer bases that may not be traditional ones that we had pre-pandemic. Our sweet spot is in the one to two million pound range. And if you notice, we're, we're coming into the late seed stage area, and we think there's a bit of a funding gap in that space. So we're looking to fill that. We've also noticed um, there's a lot of companies going for Series A sooner than they had before. We're also noticing a lot of venture capitalists are looking at more global deals than they have before. So that's an interesting opportunity, um, which we also fit into. And we're really, we're really seeing that the strategies that, that VCs are implementing more than ever now are really focused on ESG and models of, of investment that not only affect how they invest as teams, but also the types of teams they invest in. And Soho Ventures really does care about um, the diversity amongst teams because we believe diversity of thought leads to diversity of innovation. I'd really like to say first and foremost that thank you so much for coming on the show with us. It's been a real pleasure talking to you about your experiences and where you're going to take Soho Ventures um, in, in the future. So just before we end, we have just enough time to do our rapid fire round. So 
shit up, you will have 60 seconds to answer as many questions as you can in that time. So just say the first thing that comes to mind. In one word or phrase only. On your mark. Get set. Where did you go to school? Brendan School of Economics. What is your favorite food? Sushi. If you were having a dinner party and could invite three guests, alive, dead, or fictional, who would you invite and why? I would invite Mahatma Gandhi, Mick Jagger, nice. and the Queen. Mm. Wow. <laughs> Apple or Android? Apple, Apple, all the way. Everyone Great. needs an apple a day. The strangest place you have visited? Oh, Stratham. <laughs> <laughs> Colleague lives there. Uh, <laughs> sorry, it's a beautiful place. Now, back in the nineties, it, it was difficult. Oh, sorry, in the yeah, the early nineties, difficult. But favorite movie? <laughs> Pay it forward. Gorgeous movie. And finally, if you were down to your last ten dollars, where would you invest it? The champagne business. Oh, it's music <laughs> to my ears. Shital, <laughs> um, thank you so much for your time in participating in MBM's MA Snack and Chat podcast. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you, Brian. So that's it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us in our chat with Shital Walsh, co founder of Soho Ventures. Join us next time when Caroline and I will be joined by another special guest where we will chat and snack all things MA. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>